Hello and welcome to Checkup Chat with Evergreen Health. I'm Scott Webb, and we're here today with Dr. Jessica Day from Evergreen Health Urology Care to discuss kidney stones, a common condition that affects over a half million people per year. Dr. Day, welcome. Thank you for joining us on Checkup Chat. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, so as I mentioned in my intro, kidney stones are a common condition. Seems like I hear about them a lot. I don't know if in media, social media, people seem to talk about kidney stones. So can you explain what exactly kidney stones are and how common are they? Kidney stones are actually very common. They affect about 1 in 11 people in the United States, and that number has been growing over the last decade or so. These are calcifications typically that form in the kidney. And some of them stay up in the kidney and don't cause many problems, and some of them start to move or try to drop down out of the kidney down the ureter tube that carries urine to the bladder. And that's typically when most of us tend to find it. They can present with symptoms, or some of them can be, as we call it, asymptomatic. And these are very common things that we see. Yeah, it seems that they are. It seems like everybody of a certain age, anyway, has kind of been through this. But are there some uh, specific risk factors that increase someone's chances of developing kidney stones? There's a couple of different types of kidney stones, and some of the risk factors kind of depend on the type of stone. They also depend on our personal medical histories. Just to kind of briefly describe, there are types of stones. The most common type is calcium oxalate, your run-of-the-mill stone. Most people who have kidney stones do have calcium-based stones. But there are other less common types of stones that we do see, uric acid stones, for example, or struvite stones, or even cystine stones. I mention those because uric acid stones, for example, in particular are associated or folks who are diabetic tend to have a higher likelihood of having uric acid stones. And that's the rare stone that actually can be dissolved over time with some medication. Folks who have recurrent urinary tract infections, particularly folks who have spinal cord injuries or just recurrent infections in general, tend to be at higher risk for struvite infections. And eradication of the infections for those type of stones, in addition to treating the actual stone, are really the cornerstone of preventing the stones from coming back. And then lastly, cystine stones, those are stones that actually are formed from a genetic predisposition. It's a mutation in one of the transporters in the kidney in terms of how they transport amino acids. And so that's a stone that is treatable, but they're hard stones and they tend to recur very frequently. And these are people that can form stones from a young age as well. Yeah, I mentioned uh, people of a certain age, but uh, as you mentioned, that type obviously can affect younger folks as well. So what are some of the symptoms? You know, I I hear a range of things, but never pleasant. (laughs) No one ever says, you know, it wasn't so bad having a kidney stone. But let's talk about the symptoms. What would folks be experiencing? Yeah, so the symptoms typically happen when the stones start to try to move or drop down the ureter. You know, some people with asymptomatic stones, meaning the ones that kind of sit up in the kidney and don't do much, may sometimes have blood in the urine or what we call hematuria, whether that's blood that they see or blood that's picked up on a dipstick in the clinic. When the stone does try to move and they start having symptoms, really commonly flank pain, oftentimes it's associated with nausea. And the pain can radiate and it can be felt in other places. Sometimes it wraps around the back towards the lower abdomen. Some, particularly men, may feel it in the groin or the testicle. And it kind of depends on the size of the stone, where the stone is, and how much it's blocking the kidney. Sometimes you might feel other symptoms, nausea, vomiting, or in particular, the ones that I worry about are people who have these symptoms and also have fevers or chills or signs of systemic infection. Those are emergencies, actually. Yeah, that would be a time for urgent care or the ED, something like that. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, so let's talk about diagnosis, right? I'm assuming when you meet with a patient, you go through patient history, you know, what they're experiencing and so on. So I'm not sure if there's any tests per se, but how do you diagnose kidney stones? Yeah, kidney stones, you know, there are all these clinical signs and symptoms that we just talked about that kind of raise our suspicion that you might have a kidney stone, but really the cornerstone of diagnosis is imaging. And that could be any number of things, a CAT scan or a CT scan, or even just a plain x-ray or an ultrasound. Those all give us indications and can show whether there are stones present. 
Other tests that can be helpful in terms of making the diagnosis and helping us to decide what to do include blood tests, looking at your white count, looking at your kidney function, and urine testing also to make sure that you don't have an active ongoing infection. Yeah, infections. When we think about conceptions and mainly misconceptions, one of them about kidney stones is that it needs to be passed naturally to be treated. Is that always the case? And either way, what are the treatment options? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I would say the vast majority of kidney stones often do pass on their own, and I certainly, being a urologist, tend to see the ones that don't. How likely they are to pass is often dependent on where they are in the urinary system, whether it's up in the kidney, up in the top part of the urine, or down in the bottom part, and also how big they are and how long they've been trying to pass. There are some stones that kind of get stuck in the ureter, so to speak, and the more they get stuck, the more they create some inflammation, and then it becomes harder for them to pass. The stones that do pass oftentimes are symptomatic, meaning that most people feel them. They're, they don't kind of pass unnoticed. And the ones that don't pass, typically we talk about then doing treatment or surgery for. And those are the ones that typically we've kind of given at the old college try about four to six weeks of letting you try to pass it on your own. And at that point, if it hasn't passed, it's fairly unlikely to pass. There are a couple different treatment options for kidney stones, and you'd have to talk to your doctor in terms of the specifics because they are very tailored in terms of the size of the stone, where the stone is located, what your body habitus looks like, how the stone looks on the x-ray, for example. But broadly speaking, for kind of most stones, treatment options include shockwave lithotripsy or ureteroscopy. Shockwave lithotripsy is a non-invasive way to treat stones where we basically put a probe to your back and we deliver shockwave energy directly through the kidney, through the back, and to the stone. We have to be able to see the stone on an x-ray typically to target this well. And then the stone breaks up and we rely on your body's natural urine flow to kind of pass the stone fragments. It's the least invasive way. Certainly, it's not a good option if you have an active infection, if you're pregnant, or if you're on blood thinners, because there are risks in terms of bleeding and infection from that perspective. Ureteroscopy is the other way that we very commonly treat stones. That is a little bit more invasive in that it entails driving up in, through the bladder and up the ureter tube directly to the stone with a small telescope. And the advantage of that approach is that I can see the stone directly and I can see exactly the size of the fragments that I'm generating and what I've cleared out. The stone is broken up with a little laser fiber, any big pieces are pulled out, and there may be just fine sand or gravel that passes on its own afterwards. And typically after that procedure, I leave a stent, which is a temporary plastic drainage tube, not like the kind of stent that goes in your heart that's a permanent piece of metal, but this is something that's soft, pliable, comes out typically in about a week to two weeks. And the purpose of the stent is to keep the ureter open, sometimes just from the stone being there or from me driving up the ureter. It can cause some swelling and inflammation that rarely is enough to swell a kidney shut and make you feel like you've got a kidney stone all over again. So that stent is temporary. It comes out in about a week to two weeks. And then lastly, the third treatment option typically is reserved for larger stones. That's something called percutaneous nephrolithotomy or PCNL. I know it's a big, a big mouthful. <laughs> that's, a, um, that's a lot of letters there. Exactly. Yeah. But that entails going through the back, again, in the same approach as the shockwave, but I actually make a hole through the back, through the kidney, and to the stone. And it's a bigger entry into the kidney and lets me treat the stone more directly. So it's a better option for bigger stones and also a better option for some infection-based stones as well. I actually treat the stones and the pieces get sucked out through this lithotriptor device that has a combination of a suction and then there's a couple different energy modes that can be used, ultrasonic and pneumatic lithotripsy. But the long and the short of it is that the stone gets broken up, the pieces get sucked out, and it's a much more efficient way to treat a big kidney stone. If we tried to treat it with any of the other ways, for example, it might require multiple trips to the operating room, whereas this might be able to take care of it with one procedure. And then there's kind of a variation on that PCNL, something called a mini PCNL, where I use a smaller channel and I make a smaller hole. So there's slightly smaller risks to that procedure. And it lets me clear out the stones a little bit more effectively than I might be able to through some of the other methods if they're larger stones. 
Well, you know, obviously kidney stones are not fun, you know, for anybody, especially patients, but uh, good to hear that there's lots of options depending on the size and location, magic words to my ears, shock waves and lasers, you know, some really, you know, once you're 15, doctor, you're always 15. So I hear laser and I think, well, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. So I was going to ask you if stones recur for people, but I think how I want to phrase this is once folks have stones, if they are sort of the kind of person who has kidney stones or who develops kidney stones, does that become a common theme in their life? Do they tend to come back more for folks who've had them previously? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, we were talking earlier about risk factors. There are some things just in our lifestyle, for example, or in how our body processes certain chemicals, calcium, for example, or even family history kind of increases our risk of stones. And some of these are things are within our control and some of them are not. Folks who do have kidney stones tend to be at higher risk for having recurrent stones. And so what I typically do with my patients is, particularly for folks who've had multiple stone episodes, but even for folks where it's their first time you've had stones, I take a fairly aggressive approach to stone prevention. There are some general things we can do to prevent kidney stones from coming back, you know, staying very well hydrated, avoiding high salt or high animal proteins in our diet, and actually having a moderate amount of calcium is actually protective, particularly for calcium-based stones. Some people think, I've got to cut out calcium because I've got a calcium-based stone, and that's simply not true. Right. But, you know, there are other things we do. I often will do 24-hour urine testing, which is a metabolic evaluation to look at your individual specific risk factors, and that helps us pinpoint and develop an individualized plan for you in terms of what modifications we might need to make. It might be drinking more fluid to combat dehydration. It might be altering your diet to decrease your protein intake. It might also include medications to help you know, regulate the pH of your urine or the calcium levels in your urine. So I think for me, you know, my approach to how to prevent the stones, it's very personalized. And I think the goal is trying to not have them recur for you. Yeah, it does seem that prevention is key, but obviously there are a lot of options, shockwaves and lasers and things with big words. And thank goodness we have you and your expertise to help us through things like this, help us, you know, take care of these stones, laser them or vacuum them, whatever it might be. So this has been really educational today, doctor. Thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Evergreen Health Urology Care provides expert evaluation and treatment for urinary tract and pelvic health issues to help you improve your quality of life. To schedule an appointment, please visit the Evergreen Health Urology Care website at evergreenhealth.com slash urology hyphen care or call 425-899-5800. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Evergreen Health podcasts. For more health tips and updates, follow us on your social channels. 